Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neifer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with Maggie Holub from, well, today or right now, you're in Norfolk, Nebraska, but whereabouts do you actually live? I live down by Scribner, Nebraska, which is about an hour south of Norfolk. Better placement on a map for people about an hour north and west of Omaha, Nebraska. I can tell you're a farm girl because you actually use north and west and east and south. I mean, uh, uh, it seems like farm kids, boys, girls, they understand north, south, east and west. You talk to kids from the city and they want to know, Okay, it's it's you go to that tree and then you turn left. Well, that that doesn't help me any. I need to know north, south, east and west. Yeah, it sometimes throws people off when I use normal directions. (laughs) It it was funny when we first got married, and and I've been married 40 plus, well, 40 years, and I just had our 40th in June, and I was the typical bad husband uh, at the beginning because we'd be driving along, and I'd ask my wife, okay, what direction are we going, you know, north, south, east, or west, and invariably, she would the fourth one is the one she finally got it correct. Now she's about 80%. So uh, maybe maybe a little bit of me have rubbed off on her. Now, hopefully that's the good part because there's plenty of bad parts. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, how's, how's your crops looking in your area? We are dry. Where yeah. I'm at in Dodge County, Nebraska, if you look at a drought map, there is a big red extreme dry dot over our county. So and- we'll... I don't know. Right now, we're a little nervous to get the combines rolling. I don't even want to throw out any ideas for yields because it's kind of depressing to think about. You know, it it was funny out, well, not funny, but out in our area last year, we had our worst drought that we've had in probably, well, the last bad drought was 1977. So, you know, it's been close to 50 years since we've had a really bad drought. And I would say average yields were about 40% below normal, but weather is very erratic. I mean, we had farmers that continue to get their 130 bushel per acre on wheat, and then the farmers that would normally get 130, 140 ended up with 80 or 90. So uh, that's just, uh, you know, you never know with Mother Nature. Yeah. Yep. So why don't we, as usual, I start off a podcast with uh, – Give me a brief outline or a history of you and your farm and so on and so forth. Okay. I started farming in 2015. That was my first year I farmed independently by myself. And I farmed 280 acres of all family farm ground that my mother owns. And the corn and soybeans, that's what we raise here in, in eastern Nebraska, a little bit of irrigated, you know, irrigated acres. And from there, my first year farming, I was really, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to figure it out. I can handle it. Yep. And so that's really where it started. Um, From there, I grew in 2016. I added 120 acres. All this stuff is rented. I didn't own anything at that time. Knew a neighbor that was retiring. So approached them to farm, you know, their farm that they were retiring out of. And then in 2017, I did pick up 
another quarter, they slowly retired out of farming. And then um, after that, I did end up, this is a little out of my comfort zone. I picked up 200 acres about 11 miles further from where I grew up and where my home place is. And the flood came in 2019. This piece yeah. of ground was right along the Platte River and Ooh. that is no longer farmable acres anymore. So my farm has gone from 280 acres to 700 acres and now back to 500 acres. Last year, I had the privilege of finally purchasing my very first farm to me. So I have tillable acres that are in my possession or my ownership. So to date, I am 540 acres of corn and soybeans, 320 acres corn currently, and 220 soybeans, 40 acres of irrigated beans, and 80 acres of irrigated corn in that okay. mix. Okay, okay. And you don't have any livestock, it's just strictly a, a row crop operation? I have two dogs and about 27 <laughs> cats. If you want to count my cats as livestock, you can, but <laughs> nothing, um, no cattle or hogs or chickens or anything like that, no. We have about, I think, 11 or 12 laying chickens, and then we actually have 61 meat chickens, and we're processing them all tomorrow morning. So oh. uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Plus, we have four labs, uh, three black labs and one chocolate, and then two house cats. And then we had a male barn cat that my wife actually pretty well got domesticated, although he lives in the barn with the goats and and like when the chickens showed up, he was not interested in eating the chickens. He just said, hey, they're part of the family. Uh, but he's now got a girlfriend. So I think we're going to have a family here fairly quickly. So oh. uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. They but, quickly uh, multiply. Growing growing up, I will say, we did have feeder cattle. We fed out about a 700 head feed yard. And then we had about a thousand head of hogs and a thousand head of laying hens. So I know livestock from back <laughs> in the day. Well, and of course you are, I would say, a full-time banker and a full-time farmer. I mean, you're doing both roles, so uh, go through that part of your career too. Yeah, um, that's also why I don't have livestock. My full-time job as a young and beginning relationship officer with Farm Credit Services of America is my diversification. That's really what I spend a bulk of my time doing. So I get to work with a lot of young and beginning producers across Northeast Nebraska, all the way from O'Neill to Sioux City. So I do dabble a little bit over into Iowa, getting young, young producers up and running. But I mean, that looks like eight to five most days, Monday through Friday. So most of my vacation time, evenings and weekends is spent farming. Yep. And then yeah. I am blessed that I picked a career. I don't know how God chose this for me, but when a, a farmer is typically working out in the field, they don't need their banker. Yeah. So yeah. I picked a job that I can do both fairly easily. And farm credit is really flexible too. So that helps a lot as well. Yeah. And of course, these days, unlike when I was a kid uh, helping my dad, I remember, you know, during harvest, if you broke down, it was a 10, 15, 20 mile drive into town just to find out they didn't have parts. Now you're on your cell phone, you can call up and say, hey, do you have this part? Of course, these days with part issues, you may wait, wait a week or two to get parts. So it's it's that part's a little bit different, but uh, uh, you know, the cell phone, basically you can do a lot of your job with the cell phone. Yeah, that is nice. And, and especially with COVID, it really heightened working from home. Yep. That's, that's been a nice addition to my 
career too, it's helped. Cell phone, working from home, I can get a lot done before I go combine or while I'm combining or sitting in line, so. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, also you have a passion for fitness too. Let's, let's go through how did that develop and how do you use it today? Yeah, so I didn't say this when I started here. I probably should rewind a little bit. I started farming because my dad passed away. My dad passed away October of 2014. So my myself and my family was taxed with getting his crop out and then what the heck are we going to do at the farm? My sister and myself chose to take over and have been continuing to run the farm since. But I watched a 48-year-old guy get diagnosed with brain cancer, my dad, and watched him pass away at 51 years of age. I don't want to make this sad, but that was the reality of my life. And I was already, I mean, I already worked out. I ran cross country in high school. I loved being athletic. I wasn't great at it, but I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I was already at the Y and I'm like, how am I going to, the YMCA, when I say the Y, how am I going to keep this if I choose to go farm? And in 2015, agriculture was icky. It was not great. Um, from 2015 until about 2019, it was just gross. So I yeah. figured why not try to at least get paid for my time and my fuel so I got certified to teach fitness, and that's how I justified going to the gym or teaching fitness classes. And it was a little bit of supplemental income to help with things. And and do you still teach fitness, or are you just? Uh, I'm I'm guessing if you teach fitness and a full time banker and a full time jo- uh, farmer, that's that's a lot of things to juggle. It is. Yeah. And to answer your question, I do still teach fitness. So I'll I'll go back a little bit too and keep answering your question. There's a better probability you will not get cancer if you're healthy. I mean, you never Mm -hmm. know. Life is crazy. So I I thought, you know, staying healthy, taking care of myself. One, I won't get sick. Two, it helps you be a better farmer, honestly. Um, But yes, I still teach fitness. I teach in at the same Y I started at. Um, almost 15 years ago working out and um, I teach body pump a Les Mills body pump class there every Saturday morning at eight o'clock in the morning so that's on my weekend I just drive there for an hour teach class and I go home and then I also teach at a small gym in West Point Nebraska teach there Tuesday mornings at 5 30 in the morning and then I do have this is one thing I learned being an officer out in rural America or rural Nebraska Um, there's not a lot of access to gyms and people don't have access to fitness instructors and group fitness. So I have a 16 foot trailer. I pull around with my pickup and I can do pop-up workout classes, you know, in a park or somewhere in a community facility. And I just tell people I'm coming and people work out and it hasn't been so much so with COVID and, um, $5 fuel. Yep, 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 yes. Especially if it's a diesel pickup. So Yep, yep. <laughs> so that I've I've parked for a little bit. It's been sitting in the shed for a few months, but I do have that capability of doing some local classes that way. Now you said what type of class do you teach on Saturday? Something pump. I heard pump, but I wasn't sure. I didn't quite hear all of that. So what type of class is that? It is called body pump. Body pump, okay. 
and the and brand is the brand is Les Mills. That's the overarching brand, Les Mills. Okay. Okay. And body pump is the class that I teach. So I gotta ask, because I've never done a body pump class, what, what is involved in a body pump class? First off, body pump is for everyone, so you need to try it. Okay. It, okay. it is, I, I can tailor it between 45 minutes and 55 minutes, and it is designed to work every major muscle group for four to six minutes, low weight, high rep. Okay, okay, okay. So it's not hard on your joints or anything like that. It's just designed to get you moving and get all the muscles tuned up, so to speak. Yes, you are toning and shaping your muscles and maintaining your muscles. It is it is wonderful. Okay. okay. The science well, behind it, the science behind it is fantastic. I'll have to I'll have to look that up. But matter of fact, I'm gonna write that down now. Body pump and what and it's less, what do you say? Less what? Less mills, M-I-L-L-S. Okay. Okay. Perfect. As opposed from Les Miles, who was the uh, coach of LSU football and then Kansas and so on. So I, yeah. I, I, I will, I will understand that. Okay. Well, you gave us a history of your growth of the farm. I guess I'm curious. You brought up that that you and your sister took over the farm. So she's still involved with you, or, or how does that work? Yeah. So we have separate operations. She does the cow calf stuff. And I do the row crop stuff. Okay. Okay. And, and she's course, a full she's a full time dental hygienist and a oh. mom, and then does you know they they have cows and calves and all that. That was it. I didn't have time for that with my full time job. I just I took a you know hard pass on that. Yeah, I I would do a hard pass on the livestock too. So uh, you know that uh, uh, livestock's basically twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year. So yeah, uh, but. Uh, but uh, well, on the growth, you know, based, uh, it looked like every year you sort of added on. And of course, you had the flooding of 2019. I remember flying into Omaha and I called it Lake Missouri at that point. I mean, the whole the whole area north of the airport was underwater. But uh, what what did you do right on your growth? And maybe what did you do wrong? Right on my growth. I was honestly patient with it. And I didn't actively go pursue people. You know, I was very adamant I was going to try to farm by myself, figure it out. And my dad always taught me, do something really, really good first yep. before you try to get bigger, better, expand upon that. So it was really my goal of just mastering farming. And from there, I think people noticed that. And people just noticed I was this random female out there trying to do something i think that probably helped a little bit too but i built then great relationships with those people around me and that really that that's something i did right and i'd also say i was really diligent this is going away from like the landlord relation piece of it but i was really diligent with my numbers i started in 2015 and times were really tough and it also helps i'm a banker too but yeah. I was really good with my balance sheet, my cash flow, managing my taxes. Anything it took to run a business, I was working in and on my business all the time. Okay. Okay. Would there be anything you you wish you could have done over or done differently? I would have I would have ironed out knowing what I know now. I would have ironed out more with the succession piece of it. And I would have had those conversations and not necessarily just with my family, but this goes back to 
something I just experienced this year. One of my landlords decided to sell 120 acres and I wasn't in a spot to buy it. I bought a 40 the year before and I, I wish I would have had more guts to talk through those farmers succession plans prior to committing to farming with them or for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Succession isn't always just interfamily. It, like you say, it's with those landlords and finding out what their plans are and how it may or may not affect your operation and, and so on. So it isn't just the family succession that you have to be concerned about. Yeah. Uh, you are a younger producer, matter of fact, uh, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, so I'll skip on that. But uh, as a younger producer, and you've only been doing this for what, this is your eighth year of, essentially your eighth year of farming. Um, as a younger producer, what's what's good about being a younger producer and maybe what's not so good about being a younger producer? The ideas and the energy a young individual can bring to the table are awesome. Yeah, that's what's good about being a young producer. It, it's interesting. I see the dynamics working with father, son, daughter. You know, in my job role now, it's it's interesting to see how the younger generation challenges the status quo and how things are done today. And there's a fine line you got to balance there, and how you communicate it and articulate, you know, change or doing something differently, but. That's one thing we can bring to the table and the level of technology and our skill set from that standpoint also brings another element to it. From a bad standpoint, we just don't have a lot and it takes a lot to get into agriculture. It does. We don't have, we don't have the net worth. We might not have the working capital. We don't have, we're not well established and it takes millions of dollars to farm. Yeah, it does. I mean, and and it's not just the initial capital to get in it. It's the it's the capital required just to plant a crop because you got to wait for that crop to be harvested before you can actually pay back the loan and so on. Yep. Well, we'll go ahead and take a a break for a sponsored message, and then we'll come back and have a couple more items that we'll go over and uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Perfect. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Pop, Top Producer. I am Paul Neifer, your host, and we're going to uh, rejoin our conversation with Maggie. Um, you know, you and your sister sort of have separate operations. She's got a family. You got your operation. You're still young. Is there any thoughts on succession for you, for whoever it might be going to, uh, when you finally get ready to retire? Absolutely. Uh, I have spent 
this this last year in my career with this young and beginning role i just started this with farm credit this last year becoming an expert in succession planning and i'm extremely passionate about it so we'll get into it here a little bit but i have a plan i've worked with an individual his company is insurance design management out of omaha and i don't i don't have kids i don't have a future you know generation coming but i do have a nephew Mm -hmm. and i do have stuff spelled out i've created an entity where my equipment has gone in there that's used for more of the operating side of it i do have a trust created and upon my death things will get transferred into the trust so yes i have a plan i have things spelled out i do have a significant other jeff if i refer to jeff that's who i'm talking about okay things will go his way things will go my sister's way and things will go my nephew's way and I've got that spelled out. My nephew's only one, but I have stuff. <laughs> I have stuff spelled out that once he turns 25 and 30 and 35, things will slowly go his way, um, if he chooses that. Otherwise, then it's my sister's problem, right, or responsibility yeah. to yeah. help figure that out. But yeah, there is a plan. I, the biggest thing, I have given that plan to my banker. He has access to that, and I've told my boyfriend and my sister. It's in his hands. That's where it is. If something happens, here's Go the gist of it, but they've got it. And okay. it's also in my safe. Here's the code to my safe. So I'm, the biggest thing I'm trying to articulate there is communicate. Communicate with your family and communicate with your business partners what your plan actually is. Because when you're dead and gone, that's when all the, the trouble generally happens. So just if you're trying to eliminate that, that'd be my biggest piece of advice. I, I, and I certainly get involved with a fair amount of succession uh, for farm families, primarily farm families. Matter of fact, I think it's been quite a while since I've done it for a non-farm family. But I, I think the issue I see at times is you know, they know they want to do it. You know, they'll get advice, but they, they have a hard time making that first step toward actually doing it. Do you have any advice for those farmers or those farm families that really know they want to do it, but they just can't quite get started. What what would be your suggestions there? Yes. And I I will admit, I struggled with this too. It It's really weird when you get in that seat and get in that moment of thinking about it and trying to make those decisions, how paralyzed you get. I started my plan last August and I just finished it here the start of the summer. So it takes Actually, it, I was going to say that's pretty quick for, yeah. for most I mean, of the I'm farmers a, I see. So that's very quick. So I'm a single human with not with, I mean, I own a 40, so it's not that hard. But um, that that's the biggest thing is one, be patient would be my advice. And two, I'm a learner by nature, but go out and do, you have to take some ownership in this yourself. You have to do a lot of learning and self-educating. It's not... Yeah you can't just go to the attorney and expect them to know what you want or what to be done. I mean, they'll help and they'll advise you, but you have to have some sort of a plan. So with that, do some self-reflection, spell out, you know, what you want or kind of line out your vision of what you want. I was also, I work with a coach or counselor, however you want to phrase it, have a mission and a vision statement for your farm and really define your success and your legacy. 
Okay. And that gave me a lot of clarity too. And my last piece of advice is I would interview multiple people, multiple attorneys, multiple accountants, multiple, you know, like your team before you and, and find the right one that will work for you and work with your personality. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree because we all have different personalities and sometimes those personalities are going to mesh and other times they sort of clang. So uh, try yes. to find that personality that meshes with you now. You were mentioning that you have this sort of new role with with the bank as far as you're really focusing in on those younger producers. You know, describe that role a little bit for the for the listeners out here. Yeah. So in addition to my typical, you know, can I give you an operating loan or a real estate loan or an equipment loan? Yes, I do that. So I'm a typical banker, but I also get to help them build their financial acumen so I can help them by providing workshops or seminars on balance sheets, cash flows. I do a lot of succession planning skills workshops because that's what I'm passionate about. Marketing, risk management, insurance, bringing them experts and content matter around those topics to young and beginning producers. Okay. So, okay. so they, they have access to good education and build those skills. And so what would be when you say Northeast Nebraska, as far as your territory, is that from like Omaha all the way north to the South Dakota border? Then how far west would you go? Yeah, so I would go all the way to Lamar's, Iowa. Okay. okay. All the way out to O'Neill. Norfolk's in between there. And okay. I don't go more than about 35, 40 miles south of Norfolk and north of Norfolk. Okay. Okay. So it's just a, a band there. And I've been to Lamar's many times. Uh, let's see. Uh, is it Blue Bunny that's there? I think is, is it Blue Bunny? It's the blue, I think it's Blue Bunny ice cream that's there, isn't it? Yep. The ice cream yep. capital of the world, Blue Bunny. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. I've been there several, several times. I, I do a fair amount of, or I've done a fair amount of speaking up at Orange and Sioux Center. And, yep. And uh, when I go there, I, I typically stop by and partake of the ice cream. So I, I definitely know that area. So now back in 2018, you were actually named the Top Producer Horizon Award winner. Uh, describe that process for us. It was a nomination process. So you you, you could nominate to be, you know, be an award um, recipient, essentially. And it it really defined good people, good young individuals in agriculture with business skills, up and coming, good marketing, good, you know, just overall well-rounded business individuals in agriculture. That's how it resonated with me. Yeah. It was really neat working with Sarah Schaefer through that whole process. Um, going to, I went to Chicago, actually, it was the first time they merged the whole top producer summit into one if i i think i'm speaking to that correctly and it was neat to meet a lot of the other historical award winners so now now we've got kind of i would say a little gang of uh, just a close network of us that are in that yep. award elite category right yeah. it was neat to have them come out to my farm video it i, I mean you really felt special and you really felt celebrated yeah well, and I think it's important to to celebrate the the young producers that are out there 
uh, you know, trying to do a very good job and they are doing a very good job. So, uh, and I think you're right. I think that was the first year. I'm, I'm just trying to remember because that sounds right. Because in 20, well, COVID's got me all messed up on years. So I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's like before COVID and after COVID, you know, that's, that's sort of how I uh, view time these days, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Especially. It was, it was before COVID in Chicago. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I, uh, I was uh, last year in January, January, 2021, I ended up getting COVID and it was, yeah, I, I, my wife, you know, I've been married 40 years and I think she can count on one hand how many times I've been sick longer than, you know, maybe a day or two. And I, I come down with COVID in the first couple of days, you know, a moderate fever. I didn't feel too bad. And then my fever broke and I thought, oh man, this is not that big of a deal. And then suddenly I have 104, 105 fever. And then for 14 straight days, it's between 101, 104, 101, 104. And yeah, I was I was a little bit goofy. I will admit that. But at least as far as I know, I've recovered and uh, I don't seem to have any of that long COVID that I've read about. So I, I, I'm pretty happy about that, at least. That's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's certainly. And then, you know, there's been parts of the country where COVID doesn't really seem to affect the, the population, at least what I've run across. And then there's, believe me, there's other parts of the country where it's definitely been uh, more prevalent, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, while we're getting toward the end of the podcast, I always enter or end with a couple questions. Uh, first question is, uh, what keeps you up at night? This goes back to the succession thing. And if what I would have done differently. And I think it goes back to a little bit of the anxiety I have. I never like the rug being pulled out from under me. So that yep. keeps me up at night. And I always just, I always like to know what I'm going to be farming or what I'm going to be doing the next year. So September 1st is a big day in my brain because a lot of my release, my um, leases renew, you know, or you get noticed September 1st, or at least that's how Nebraska seems to work. Yep. Yeah. So that's been keeping me up at night. I'm glad it's September 16th, to be honest with you. <laughs> I know what next year is going to bring. That's that's a lot of anxiety around it. But I, my counselor and my coach has helped me with, I own my home place. I own a 40. You're in farming. You got to stop thinking that way. So I just focus on that. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're, I've, I've, as I reflected on this and I was looking, you know, through some questions here, I've gotten acres, I've lost acres, I've gotten more. So so things, you know, always happen for a reason. I just got to trust yep. it and not, not lose sleep over it. Yep, 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 exactly. And actually, before I asked the last question, there was something that came up that I'd written a, written a note down as we were talking. We are starting, it seems like, at least my perception, and, and since you deal with a fairly broad geographic area, not a huge area, but it's certainly fairly broad there, it seems like there is becoming more and more females in farming that are actually farming, not necessarily doing the books and some other stuff, but are actually in full control of the farm. Maybe there's not even somebody else involved. Are you seeing that or or is my perception wrong? No, you're no, you are absolutely correct. And it has been so much fun working with this young and beginning role. There are more female 
farmers out there pursuing or ranchers, ranchers and farmers both pursuing full-time careers in farming or even part-time. It is awesome to see. And I am, I'm like their number one cheerleader. I'm like, you can do this. <laughs> We're going to get you there. Like, just, just be patient. Just trust it. It, it. it all, we'll get there. Well, good, good. I'm, I'm glad to see that. Uh, uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, and, and I'm a, Firm believer that maybe that's why I've been married 40 years, but I'm a firm believer women do better jobs than men do anyway. So, uh, but uh, that may get me in trouble, but I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's the reality at times. Yes. Well, I, I will say we do book work better and we run the combine better. <laughs> Not as tough on the equipment, you know, so that's, that's, uh, but of course these days, Really, what are you doing running the combine? I mean, you hit auto steer and it just goes by itself, right? I mean, uh, what 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 else do you have to do on the combine? I mean, really watch all your settings and make sure <laughs> your sample looks good, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. out in my area, out in my area, you know, when you're on a 45 degree slope and the combine sliding down the hill, there you got to do a little bit extra work. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you don't have too much of that problem in Nebraska. There's a few hills, but not that drastic. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm trying to, I'm guessing the farthest I've ever slid a combine, and it happened to be with my dad on the combine with me, is I think between three and 400 feet where I had no control hmm. at all. You're just, you're hanging on, you're deciding, are you going to jump off the combine? Actually, I got two you know, a little bit off subject, but, you know, we got a farm audience here. So the first time I'm we're harvesting wheat, there's a lot of cheat grass, the wheat's all down, I'm sliding down the hill, I'm like 16 years old, I come around and tell my dad, hey, hey I'm sliding down the hill, you know, it, it's a little bit slick there. He decides he's going to get on the combine, he's going to show me how to do this. So we're coming up to the slick spot, and I remember telling my dad, Hey, this is where the slick spot is at. And I could sort of mentally see the steam coming out of his ears. I, I know he's like, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's when we hit the really slick spot. And that's when we slid three to 400 feet down the hill. Combines jumping up and down. I still vividly remember opening the door and I'm ready to jump off the catwalk or jump off the, the steps. And, and I, I happened to look up and I saw we were going to come to a spot where I knew we were going to stop. And so I, I didn't do anything. And, you know, my dad doesn't say a word. I, of course, I'm scared to even say anything. <laughs> we come around, he goes over and he dumps the grain, you know, he starts dumping the grain in the truck. And I'm just getting what's going to happen here. And he turned around and looked at me and he actually smiled. My dad hardly ever smiled. He looked at me and he goes, hey, son, you know what you're doing? Here, it's your combine and it gets off the combine and away, away we go. But then there was another time where I'm cutting wheat for my cousins and I'm going up a 40% slope both ways, downhill and uphill or side hill and uphill. And my cousins walkie talking me and say, hey, you got to come back and dump the wheat because it's the end of the day and they have to go to the elevator. So I don't even think about it. I just start turning the combine downhill, mm -hmm. not realizing I had the rear wheel assist in gear. And when that happens, it starts bumping the rear wheels up off the ground. You know, your the wheels are probably a foot or two feet off the ground. The header's bumping up and down, and I'm headed for about a 25-foot creek ditch. And oh, no. luckily, I was at least eight cuts away. So I'm about 
maybe 10 feet from the ditch when my lizard brain finally kicked in and I jammed on the right brake, missed it, went down and dumped the grain. And then I took about three years to tell my cousins about it. So, uh, but that, that's okay. So those are my stories about, uh, you know, a little bit more action on the combine. Yeah. It's crazy how, how we specifically remember those moments. Oh yeah. That, that's burnt into my brain. That'll be there forever. So, and then my last question for you, Maggie, is uh, what is your definition of success in farming? I have this motto, YOLO, you only live once. And yeah. success, if you're not happy, you're not being successful or you're not successful with yourself. You have one, one life here, one, one chance at it. Yep. So if you're not happy, figure it out and find something else to do. That'd be my definition of success. Very blunt, very probably to the point, but that's, that's it. That's a good definition. I, I think that's definitely a good definition. Well, Maggie, thank you very, very much for participating in the podcast today. And uh, maybe a year or two from now, we'll, we'll, we'll do another podcast to see how you're doing. Okay, wonderful. Okay, thanks again. Thanks. This is, oh, sorry. This is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer, and this is uh, Paul Neefer, your host, signing off.